Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. All right, you guys ready to learn about your destiny? Yeah, yeah. do it. Did any of you guys grow in revelation about what God has called you to through this lesson? Yeah? Go ahead, Alyssa. Share with me what you got. Oh, come on! No! No! This is my cross to bear. Okay. This is my destiny. Go ahead. No. I struggle sometimes to put, you know, revelation back into words. Like, this makes total sense to me, but it's not going to make any sense to you. Give it a, give it a try. Uh, so a lot of what you and I have talked about, like, things with identity and, you know, just having your identity in the Lord. And I feel like just over the last couple of weeks, he really just revealed that to me and showed me how he was, like, completely stripping me of everything that I had put my value and worth into. Um, that when maybe I wasn't at those high points in my life, it was like I just felt worthless, I guess. Hmm. Not even realizing it and just opening up my eyes to that and um, just realizing, like, I mean, it was like where you know hmm. my identity is in the Lord and the Lord alone. But when I saw it from that other perspective of, oh, like, <laughs> this is not my identity. Like, just right. because maybe I'm not here. Um, that doesn't mean like I have no value or no worth. And just on the way here, I was praying and talking that out with him. And um, he's just revealed a lot over this week with like Passover happening and just different words that he has spoken to both Devin and I from, you know, Exodus 12 and Isaiah 43 and just different things. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. And just even, again, just asking him for clarity on some other things and. He just put the word fruit in my mind, and I was like, oh, uh, festival of first fruits, you know, yeah. and how we're going into this new land as you yeah. know, that we're taking and possessing. So there's just a few things for me personally. Man, that's good. Yeah. That's good. What else, Dan? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Vicky before the, before we started, and uh, I used to be one of those that waited uh, to the end to cram this, like on a Tuesday night or Wednesday. And somebody got up, I think it was Anthony or, or yourself, about the, the value of, of, of really utilizing this. So mm. um, I found, and then I just uh, started earlier, put hours into this, and, mm. and reaped the benefits. Come on. What Anthony was describing on Sunday about the fruit, so fruit of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we think that these things come naturally, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We think those things come naturally. But how many of you guys have ever gardened before, planted anything, ever worked it, right? A lot of work goes into producing something, right? And over time, it grows. And maybe even the first year, the fruit that comes is not as prominent, not as abundant as it will be in future years. But as you continually cultivate that tree, those plants, the fruit comes back stronger, better, more abundant. You learn how to prune, how to weed. You learn how to take care of these plants and these trees 
better so that they produce better and more fruit. And then you can reach out and grab that fruit. I can walk out on any given morning and typically find an egg or two or three from the chickens that produce, right? That's my life now. For nine months leading up to them being able to produce any eggs, there was no fruit. There was only work. There was only labor. Now I can regularly go and enjoy the fruit of that labor. Did it come quickly or right away? No. Now, is it a natural byproduct of regular egg-laying chickens to lay eggs? Yes. But when I assume that it's going to be like that from the beginning, I get a rude awakening. And I might not be ready to put in the work, right, in order to take the time to do it the right way. This is the same thing with the fruit of the Spirit. The reason it's called fruit is because it demonstrates similar qualities to fruit you would see on a tree. It is something that has to be cultivated and... And you have to reach out and grab it. But it will be there as you sow to the Spirit. If you are not sowing to the Spirit, don't be surprised when you don't have love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. Don't be surprised when you don't have those things if you haven't been sowing to the Spirit. Amen? Anyone else want to share on what they came away with from this lesson this past week. Cool. All right, let's do this. As we conclude this series, our study would not be complete until we discover God's purpose for our lives. God's purpose for you becomes your destiny. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. Colossians 1.16. Let's read this next one. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29.18. What's up? And now we can start. And exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all thins. <laughs> Having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4, 8. Remember, we will be having an error party after discipleship helps us over. And which we will go through and correct all the errors so that future versions don't have them. That's a real thing. So if you're keeping track of the errors, we will, we will utilize that. Yeah. Perfection takes time. So Colossians 1.16 provides us with a good foundation for discovering our destiny. Henry, would you share with me your own words? For Colossians 1.16. I put down that God created everything to bring glory to his name. Amen. Amen. Vera, what did you put down? I put down our destiny is to return to Christ that created us and wants us back with him on his love. Amen. Amen. Lindy, what did you write? <laughs> I was pretty close to what it said. I just said everything was created by him and for him. Amen. 
I wrote, he created everything seen and unseen, physical and spiritual, through him and by him. Why? Uh, go ahead. And for him. Yes, absolutely. Why was Adam created? Genesis one twenty eight. Let's go there. Kelly, would you read out uh, verse 28, please? And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so why was Adam created? Uh, to bear fruit and to multiply it, filling the earth and ruling over all the living things. Yeah, good. Anybody else disagree? What's interesting is when it says, why was Adam created? The idea of subdue the earth. Subdue and rule over are two different things. Think about subdue. What was already here when Adam came on the scene? Everything leading up to day six, sure. Beasts were created at the same time. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was created. The serpent came to deceive Adam. He was here to subdue. What was he here to subdue? All of creation. Everything seen and unseen. The physical and the spiritual. Everything that had been created. He was here to subdue it. Adam was entrusted with the task of subduing, not just ruling over or just tending to the garden or just petting the beasts, right? Subdue. What's interesting is that all the way until the very end, God doesn't abandon that original task that was given to Adam. That original task of subduing the earth is still carried out. We see that Jesus himself is defeating all dominion, all power, all authority until everything comes under his feet and then he himself will submit to God the Father so that God may be all in all. And if we are faithful and endure with him, we will also reign with him. Adam was entrusted with the task of subduing the earth. Adam failed in subduing the earth and himself became subject to the power that existed already in the earth. You got a question, thought? Uh, could you say that God gave Adam authority over the earth? Mm-hmm. And when he said that he essentially passed that authority out to the devil. Think about this. And that is what we've talked about in here. That's the transfer of authority that we talked about before. Remember what authority means. Power to choose. Was Adam given a choice in the garden? Yes. Of course he was. He had the choice of life or death, didn't he? Think about that. What's our greatest enemy? Adam had the power to choose over that. Adam had authority. He traded it away, right? And then gave away that authority and now all of a sudden didn't have authority over death anymore, did he? Do you see? 
So we see that Adam was put here to rule and fill the earth and everything in it and also subdue it. So in your study of Scripture, for what purpose were you created? Taban, Ephesians 2.10, would you read it and then tell us for what purpose you were created? God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to, good, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. Yeah, give me an example of what a good work might be. another good work that God might prepare in advance for us to do? Anyone? Go ahead, Alan. Uh, encouraging others to endure trials. Encouraging others. Yeah. What else? Taking care of the orphan, the widow. That's good. That's Raising good. Disciples. What's that? Raising disciples. Raising disciples, yeah. Um, I, I wrote down that we will be God's hands and feet to people that are on the same plane as we are. Amen. What else? Visiting the prisoner. Visiting the prisoner. What else? Feeding the hungry. Feeding the hungry. Today, a specific work that God prepared in advance for me to do was I met with Devin Reed. And I encouraged him in the word and was encouraged by him in the word. That was a specific work that God had prepared in advance for me to do. I felt his pleasure. I felt his spirit. I felt his leading. I knew that it was him. I knew that it was what I was supposed to do today. It was a specific work created in advance for me to do. I saw it and I experienced it today. General works are different than specific works created in advance for you to do. This is why we have to partner with the Holy Spirit instead of making everything a system. Because if we simply have a list of things that are always approved activities... And then we randomly pick from those always approved activities and don't partner with the Spirit. We might do the general activities that we see are good in the Scriptures but miss the specific works prepared in advance for us to do. There is no way to accomplish those specific works outside of a partnership with the Holy Spirit. So, oh, go ahead. What's the difference between like a specific work that you're saying, like mm -hmm. you know, this meeting that you have today or whatever, yeah. and what you are called to do? Like for you, it's like teaching. Right? Mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. right? So, what's the difference between those two things in, in this scripture? Great question. Great question. So, his question is what is the difference between uh, the specific works, like for me, it would be teaching. For someone else, it might not be that same thing. But now I'm giving a specific example of a meeting that I had today. Is that right? Yeah. So I would say that the, the gifts and talents that God has given me or that I've cultivated because he put a desire inside me is a specific and unique 
set of gifts and talents that he's given me. But there are specific works. Like imagine Philip with the Ethiopian, right? Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. That was a specific work prepared in advance for Philip to do. He was walking along, saw the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah and said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone teaches me? So then he hops aboard and he tells about how the Messiah had to suffer and die. And then the man says, well, then I want to be baptized right now. There's water. Let's do it. He comes up out of the water and Philip is translocated to a different place. Specific works prepared in advance for you to do. Right. That's a perfect example. When when I think when I get my mind on the track of today, God has specific things for me to do. And you'll see what I'm talking about. This thought and this theme is woven throughout this lesson. And you'll see it in the different scriptures. If your mind wasn't flipped to that while you were studying it, think about that as we're studying through this. Specific works. Think about the, the, the verse that you saw. Make the most of every opportunity. Right? When you go to a meeting, are you going just to hang out? Or are you intentionally praying and asking that the Lord would lead you in the right direction, right? Because God has ordained this moment for you. Do you not even look at your schedule like that? Then that may be a flip in your mindset that each day there are specific works prepared in advance for me to do. And I am being carried along by the Holy Spirit and looking for those specific works. Do you see? Yes, Veronica. Um, I went to school today and it was really cool because Alan had a word for me on Monday. And I just, I walked in and I was in the bathroom and all these girls are getting ready for, you know, the day. And God's like, I want you to read this scripture to them. And so I was like, okay. So I read it to them. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm preaching in the bathroom. That's good. <laughs> and it was just, it was exciting, scary, but like, I really felt like God used it. Amen. Amen. Specific word prepared in advance for you to do. Good. Inside the stall, outside the stall. Preaching in the bathroom. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yes, sir. I guess one of the things to study did was make me realize how much I cringe the thought of the hundreds of people that God has put in my path. But I was sitting on my own throne or I had my own agenda or my own task-oriented thing. And I never gave that person nor Jesus the time to be able to minister or move in any way. Yeah, yeah. We all have to repent for that. I mean, that's there are times when I would rather stay in bed, right? I would rather just zone out on something. And we have the choice to make each day. Each day. How would you define success? I like this. Let's go to John 4, 34. We were talking this morning about the systems of Babylon and about what we're fed and what we're sold. Yeah? Nick, I just wanted to mention, sometimes I think we forget that God has placed us in our jobs to do them very well. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and to get Him into our work, like, not just to evangelize, and to, but to have Him be a part 
of our job and to do it better than anyone else. Yes, yeah. 100%. Amen. 100%. The job is a place where difficulties come your way, hardships come your way, and you are in front of other people able to demonstrate peace in the midst of chaos. You are able to demonstrate a, uh, uh, a gentleness or a kindness even when you are treated with malice. And the job place is an opportunity every day for people to witness you being unnatural. Yeah. Right? And to show. Now, if you didn't have a job and you were just at home all day long and you didn't get a chance to demonstrate that in front of other people, right? You might miss opportunities. But God specifically has you there. Each day that you go into work, each day that you are accomplishing your job, you are in an environment where difficulties and hardships will come your way and you can display the character of Christ to ungodly people who are watching or challenge fellow, fellow believers. So John 4.34. Uh, Natalie Piro, who is joining us from Life Changing Ministries down in Sugarland, Texas. Would you please read John 4.34? Amen. Jesus said his food was to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Not just start the work, finish the work. Many people can start many things. Finish the work. Look at John 5, 36. Ian, would you read verse 36, please? Oh, yeah. <laughs> But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Amen. So how would you define success based off those two verses? I said success is to accomplish all the works which God has put before me to do just like David did. Amen. Just like Jesus. Amen. Javi, how would you define success? Uh, I said what you said. Uh, accomplish God's will for my life and complete the specific works uh, the Lord has given us to do. Amen. All right, now let's be honest. No. How do we really define success? Money. Come on. What else? Come on. How do we define success? Let's be honest. We come to this church, but so what? Yeah, Elena. Yeah. But like in your heart, you're like, oh, but I get this amount of money. And then if I do this, I get this amount of promotion and acceptance from people. And it's like, but that's like worldly success. Certain kind of house, certain kind of cars, bodies look a certain way, clothes look a certain way. People act a certain way around us. They want to be us or they want to be around us. They want to be like us. Feel all those feelings. Now, if we're honest, isn't that how we define success? So we have a clash then, a clash of kingdoms is what we're looking at. One kingdom that we're talking about is destined to fall and is destined to be destroyed. Uh, let's go to Daniel. We're going to go off script for just a second. Let's go to Daniel, uh, I think it's 7. Daniel 7, I think. 
Yeah, actually, it's a four. Daniel 4, and it's verse 30. So look at this. In verse 30, he said, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? If we were honest, this kingdom over here where it's about our looks, it's about our clothes, it's about the way that other people want to be us and want to be like us. It's about the job, it's about the house and the cars and the, the prestige and all the respect and the honor from all these. This, this kingdom right here, Nebuchadnezzar had it. And what he said is, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, we don't want to admit that that's where our minds are at. Maybe we wouldn't even put those words to it. But I want to tell you, in baby form, many of us are trying to build this kind of empire. In baby form, that's where our minds are at. Seemingly innocent, like a little baby lion that you get as a pet. But one day that lion will grow up and bite your face off. That will happen. Look at Revelation. Let's go to Revelation. Revelation 18. And for further study, if you wanted to go to Isaiah 21, 9, you would see the origins of this and you could read lots of great commentary by the prophet Isaiah on what happens to the Babylons of this world. Fallen. Fallen, verse 2. She has become a home for demons. Who has fallen? Babylon. Babylon the Great. And a haunt for every evil spirit. A haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Or Shane, what did your version say? The wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The wine of the passion of her sexual immoralities. Or her adulteries, the kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Luxury, comfort, entertainment, physical pleasure. These are the things that we so often trade this kingdom to get this kingdom for. Let's be honest. The luxuries, the comfort, the entertainment, the approval of man, the physical pleasure, the emotional pleasure... This is what we trade the kingdom of God for. And we experience these things that are pleasurable for a time. And we try and build the best kingdom that we possibly can here in this life. But the problem is, we become no different than Nebuchadnezzar. Who says, look at the palace, the royal palace that I have built by my mighty power. And for the glory of my majesty and the Lord. His voice resounds from heaven and he says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a haunt for every unclean and detestable spirit. The adulteries that she has committed with this world to get excessive luxuries, to carry out all her passions and desires, it has fallen. And what happens? All the merchants in verse 11 
of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. All of a sudden in verse 14, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished Never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. This will be the fate, not just for all the great Nebuchadnezzars who actually succeeded in this life to build a kingdom that was envied by all, but also to the pitiful and pathetic baby Nebuchadnezzars who spent their entire life trying to build a kingdom like that. They too will stand off and say, Whoa, whoa, Babylon the Great has fallen. So which will you be? Will you be a baby Nebuchadnezzar? A tiny, pitiful, pathetic baby Nebuchadnezzar trying to build your own royal palace by the strength of your own mighty power for the glory of your majesty? Or will you come and sit at the table with the king? You who have no money, come and buy and eat and drink and fellowship with the creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in it. Which will you invest in? What is your food? Jesus' food was to do and finish the will and work of the Father. That was his food. That was the kingdom that he was about. He could have had the Nebuchadnezzar-like kingdom. But he chose the better way. He demonstrated the better way. Because that is the kingdom that will endure forever. Amen? Amen. So what is most important to you? Rich, what is most important to you? Um, well, finishing what the Lord has placed on my plate to do. But I, as I've been thinking about this, um, I, I kind of put it into, say, like building a house. You know, the architect, he draws drawings, and that's kind of the start. And mm-hmm. so even the start is as important as the finish in some respects. Yeah. But it's like without a vision, the people perish. So it's like you have to... You have to have envisionary people giving, you know. We all have to work as a body, is yeah. kind of what I came up with a conclusion with this whole thing. Because sometimes when I look at finish, it's just like um, I'm plagued with the, uh, the thought that uh, carpenter's kids go without, you know, or cobbler's kids go without shoes and the carpenter's house goes without being finished. It's true. The mechanic's car is always broken down. And so um, I've always sought to finish whatever I started at home. That's a good principle. That's wisdom right there. Finish what you start. Boy, that's good. Someone else, what is most important to you? Alan. Uh, I came to a hard truth. Uh, and then I repented and broke down the real truth my values, but I put my success at work, I was meditating on today, and not necessarily for power or for money, but for um, for things to go well, and uh, I, today I realized I have to submit that even if things go wrong, like like what you said today was, was perfect, Brian and I were actually praying because we had a rough couple days, 
Um, so we're, we're looking at each other smiling because what if the Lord wanted chaos? And, and that was the will for my life, that I would be put in the middle of chaos and that would not be successful, would not be easy in the world's mind. But I stand firm and that I stay calm and have peace and patience in the middle of whatever might transpire. And I might be a, a, an oak of righteousness for others to, to feed off that fruit, to lean on me, even when I feel like I can't even lean on myself or the Lord. But um, So I put um, advancing God's kingdom through obedience for God's will in my life. That's good. God doesn't want chaos. He put you in chaos to make peace, right? Yeah. And not just keep peace, but make peace. Big difference, yeah. right? Stephen, tell me what it means to make peace instead of just keeping peace. Keeping peace is just kind of letting things go as is. Uh, <clears throat> it's something that I've struggled with in my life. So if the guys, or if Jose is doing something that he shouldn't be, and I see it, instead of addressing it, I'll just let it go. And the way to make peace would be going to him and saying, hey, brother, that's not right. Here's the word. This is what the Lord says. This is the way of the Lord. Um, and bringing that to him and then helping him to get there. So that's it's good. So instead of the discomfort yeah. of conflict, we keep quiet and allow things to continue as they are. How many of you guys will avoid conflict because it's uncomfortable? Come on, be honest. Some people's hands in it. <laughs> if we get used to the idea that conflict is part of what we will do here on this earth, and we don't run away from it, we don't we don't just cancel out the relationships where there are conflict. Okay. We won't go too deep into this. When things get hard, we find every reason under the sun to justify leaving, staying quiet, avoiding. I've known people that lived in the same house where there was clearly chaos going on, but they were so uncomfortable with talking to each other or with dealing with the conflict that they stayed that way for months and then simply left and just parted ways instead of dealing with the discomfort of the conflict. Now, they might say, well, we tried it. We tried to deal with it. It didn't work out. We tried to address it. We, we did try that, but it, it didn't work. And so because of conflict, we let the difficulty of that relationship determine the direction for our lives. Now, what does that produce in us in the long term? We become weak because then the next time it doesn't take as much difficulty or conflict for us to leave. Why? Because we've done it before. Look at the statistics of the second marriage ending in divorce and then the third marriage ending in the divorce. The divorce. By the time you get to the third marriage, it's like 70 something percent chance that it will end in divorce. Why? Because you're used to leaving. When we avoid conflict and let it determine our direction, we become weak. And then we're used to leaving and it's easier in the future. We have to stop that 
and recognize, no, conflict is here in front of me. I must face it and finish the work that God has given me to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he broke so many covenants that the Israelites had been peacekeepers within, mm-hmm. like with David and Goliath. I mean, all of these different ones, and like even in that, like it shows just the fight that it takes to keep peace mm-hmm. or to make peace. You know, and it's like yeah. making peace will always have something to do with restoration. Too. Yes, absolutely. David is a perfect example of a peace. Maker, And there were little treaties that existed between Israel and all these different nations. And the ones that they didn't drive out still to this day make up the enemies that surround them and want to kill them to this day. Because problems don't just go away on their own. They even left for 1900 years. They didn't leave. They were kicked out. But 1,900 years went by. Come back, same problems. So what do you believe is God's purpose for your life, Emily? Um, I actually didn't have anything written down because I was like still mulling over it because I was kind of confused just by all the different wordings that was in this chapter like destiny, vision, purpose, mission. I was like... They all kind of seem similar to me, but I can see the difference. I don't know. So I was like a little... Do y'all love Emily? Yes. Isn't she so sweet? (laughs) Emily, stand up. (laughs) Tell me what you know right now is God's purpose for your life. Who you are right now. What is his purpose for your life? Um, From what I know right now, it's to be a light to others. And to um, awaken hearts to who they really are. And doing that just by, you know, sharing my testimony and being who God has called me to be as his daughter. Awaken hearts and be a light. Amen. 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 <laughs> Come on. Yes, Rich. Um, can that also be, say, like, if somebody needs something built and you're able to build it, I mean, I mean I, I'm not one much for talking, and so I really, I like building, you know, and, and so is... So clarity on this question then. So what's deeper? What deeper thing are you doing? Because you're not just building something building for someone. Something for the kingdom, for, for people to, to enjoy, to, to use... For the, for the kingdom of God. I mean, you... you um. So let's take a few examples here, because I love this. This is, And many of y'all need what's about to happen here as you determine and, and understand your purpose, right? Yeah. The difference between the actual specific things that we do and what our purpose is here on the earth. Do y'all see this little hemisphere yes. sound panel? Yes. So I watched Rich... Come in here. We spent uh, hours trying to figure out how to make this happen, right? Because we take it for granted. You come in, it's like, oh, that's cool. No. So, so we're trying to figure out how do we make this a sound panel? How does this work? 
we're coming up with ideas. We're thinking about it. We're talking. No, that's not going to work. We have people say, no, that, that's not going to work. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. Rich comes in, takes a look at it, looks at our plans, and then goes to town like a madman. And just builds this frame out. Boom, boom, boom. He's climbing up on ladders, throwing things down, getting this, cutting it here. Boom, 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 boom. And assembles this thing in a couple hours. Puts this whole thing together. So when... when What's that? I had help. He had help. <laughs> so if, if you were to say to me, well, what's my purpose? Is my purpose then to do things like that for the kingdom? I would say if I backed it out, because this would be who you are wherever you go. If you drop, if we took Rich and we dropped him out of a plane in Africa and he landed there, what would be some of the first things that he would get? Tools. Yeah. He would end up with tools in his hand very quickly, would he not? And he would be finding out what it is that people need, would he not? Right? And he would assist in helping people realize their dreams through using his building skills, through using his skills. This is, this is what you do. This is who you are. Wherever you go, this is what you're going to do. God has put you on this earth. You are clearly gifted. When you do it, you are operating in your gift and everyone can see it. Yes. It's clear. Yeah, come on. Right? And you use, because you're assisting people in realizing their visions. Right? And you're utilizing the skills that God has given you. What's crazy is, here's the thing. If you lost your hands, you wouldn't lose your purpose. You would still find a way to assist people in realizing their dreams through building in some way. You would still be assisting people. When you reach the age that you're not able to get up on a catwalk the way that you did like that. When that day comes, you will still be fulfilling your purpose somehow. God will utilize what you have some way to bring Him glory for the rest of your days. Right? You have to recognize your purpose is what you would do wherever you were put on this earth. If Matt Paias was dropped in China with nothing, what would he very quickly end up with? Music. He would end up with music somehow, some way, and he would be singing praise and encouraging others and assisting others and bringing praise to the Lord through music. Somehow. If you took away his hands, he would still find a way to make music to the Lord and to encourage other people in that as well. Because that's part of his purpose. Yes. Um, so, have you heard of Johnny Erickson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for those of you who haven't. Um, Paraplegic, right? Yeah. She got an, Quadriplegic. Uh, she got an accident when she was like 17. And she was very artistic and stuff like that. So she couldn't move her arms or her legs, but eventually she learned to paint with her mouth. She used the brush, and she could write and paint, and she did a bunch of stuff like illustrating God's love and through art and stuff like that. So like that was a part of her before the accident and after, and I just think that's really cool. <laughs> that's great. That's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. Yes. So like, is this supposed to be something that you're naturally good at, or 
I think the best way to describe it is it's what you would do no matter where you were put. Anthony. Wouldn't that also then just tie into the works that the Lord had prepared for you from advance? It's those works that you're doing regardless, hands chopped off, yes. can't move. You're still going to be able to purpose these things despite whatever's going on with you. Can you see how detrimental and devastating it would be? If the enemy were able to come in and convince people that it didn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus loves you. You're forgiven. You're saved. It's done. Now just enjoy. If we don't understand our purpose, we don't know why we're here, we will be aimless. We won't have direction. We will lack vision and clarity about what we're a part of and what our role is in it. It's something. Yeah, so just like everything that we're talking about, it also sounds like your mezuzah statement. That's exactly what it is. So mine and Lindy's is to bring freedom through the truth of God's word. That's what we exist to do. That's what our purpose is. That's what we were put on this earth to do. Wherever we go, I will end up teaching this. We will end up teaching this wherever we go. If they took this away from us, we would teach what we remember from it. Right? And we would, we would build our lives and we would encourage others to build their lives around this. With total faith that it will bring freedom to people as they do it. The purpose of this church. Anybody know? It's written on the wall back there to equip and mature the saints. That's what we exist to do. Ephesians 4. When you combine mine and Lindy's with this church's, it's to bring freedom through the truth of God's word and then to equip and mature the saints. I just saw that earlier. It's literally taking us from them being captives to them being mature believers. To bring freedom through the truth of God's word to equip and mature the saints. Do you see? We work in tandem with each other. Does anyone know the Masseys? They've got it written on a big sign. Powering others to advance the kingdom of God. To bring freedom through the truth of God's word. To empower others to advance the kingdom of God. He pairs us together with people in their complementary callings. Complementary purposes. Now can you see to empower others to advance the kingdom of God, to equip and mature the saints? You're putting this together. Now as we begin to understand our roles, our functions, what we do, it is less about Matt being up behind the drums or Matt being behind the sound panel and Matt being at a computer. It is less about each of those things. Matt is doing those things and all of those can fall underneath the purposes of God for him in his life. But even if you take him away from that or away from this or away from a computer, you won't be able to stop him from operating in the purpose of God for his life. It will naturally come out of him. No matter what he's doing, he will find a way to operate in the purpose of God for his life. Yeah. That's the, the what the Lord has given you. So when you are you're hearing the Lord and you're speaking, it you know each person kind of 
speaks of it in a different way mm. because it's it's what your motivation is. I think that's really great. I think uh, whenever he tells Jeremiah, I will put my words in your mouth. The way that Pastor Eric defines that is uh, that they are the Lord's words, but they're coming from Jeremiah, which is Jeremiah is made up of all of his experiences, all of the ways that he sees things and the way that he talks, his inflection, his dialect, his accent, right? All these, as he speaks out, it's not that the Lord takes away Jeremiah. Many of us say, oh, more of you and less of me. I love what Pastor Mike says. He says, uh, no, more of you in all of me. Come on. And it's not that he wants to wipe away the uniqueness of who each of us is, but rather to fill all of those unique parts so that when we are fully ourselves, and he is coming through, then that's when we are operating fully in our purpose. Does that make sense? So in Proverbs 29, 18, the Bible tells us that we simply must have a vision. Vision is the God-given ability to see the future through the eyes of God's promises. According to Proverbs 29, 18, what happens to the person that has no vision What does it mean to cast off restraint? Anything is permissible. Anything is permissible? Not knowing what they should do? <coughs> to neglect what they know they should do. Uh, Lindy, can you find me... When Moses comes down, or any of you guys, if you know, when Moses comes down the mountain and the people, is it? No, it's uh, 32. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in verse 25. So this morning, uh, we had a, um, a gentleman that was there. Uh, he is a a Jewish believer and uh, at Bible study. And he was telling us uh, that when a word is repeated, it's for emphasis, right? Um, So when Saul is looking at David, uh, it says that he looked at David. And the way that our Bible translated is he kept a close eye on David or a jealous eye is the way that some translations have it. But it's just, the Hebrew is just looked, looked. But the emphasis causes them to translate it differently. So when you see emphasis, or, it's re- or when you see it repeated, it's because there's emphasis. What happened? Oh, that drops in. So look in verse 25. It says that Moses saw that the people were running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control, and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. In Hebrew, this simply says, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people para, para, para. Three times. This is wild, wild, wild. It literally means naked. This is the people had cast off restraint. 
cast off restraint, cast off restraint, cast off restraint for emphasis. He comes down. There's not just orgies. There's the worshiping of idols. The people are worshiping other gods. They are uh, party. And why? Because they couldn't see Moses for 40 days. They couldn't see. They had no vision. And the people cast off restraint. Para, para, para. So our versions translate it. My version translates it. They were running wild. They were out of control. And they became a laughing stock to their enemies. Because they had no vision. Running wild. Out of control. A laughing stock to their enemies. Unfortunately, to the world... Much of the church looks this way. Running wild, out of control, a laughing stock to their enemies. A laughing stock to their enemies. Without vision, the people cast off restraint. Nick, could this, could that instance where the people went wild because they couldn't see Moses, could it be traced back to when they had an opportunity to speak to the Lord and they were like, no, no, I'm afraid. Moses, you do it. You do it. Yeah, and uh, and the Lord wanted to speak with them. It's obvious because He came down to the tabernacle to be within their midst. Yeah, um, and so it's like they had no relationship, and when that their only connection with Him was gone, was, the restraint was missing. And the Lord said to him, "Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear Me always." But He knew. That that would not be their heart posture. Oh, we fear the Lord. Right? And a reverence for the Lord. Moses, you speak to him. And the Lord knew that won't be how they feel. For long. Right. So yeah. So how did it happen? How do people cast off restraint? Or how do people have no vision? This, this uh, answer required a little bit of thinking. Where there is no direction, any way seems right. And the, the scripture that came to mind was Proverbs uh, 14, 12. And it says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Mm. Rebecca, what do you think? When we lose faith. When we lose faith? Mm. How do we lose faith? It's okay, take your time. So instead of trusting, we choose not to trust. And over time, that causes us to lose faith. You mean they don't want to see? They don't want to see? They don't want to have vision? So they resist God, reject God, push God away. That's good, Javi. Um, the following verse says, um, but happy is he who keeps the law. So I feel like this happens when there's lawlessness in our life. When, when we fail to observe yes. you know, the scriptures. Yes, that's what I wrote. I said when they forget or lose the law. Did you have something? Yeah, I just uh, felt like without any goals to live for is aimlessness, lack of purpose, uh, wasting time, and eventually amounts to nothing. Wasting time. Paul? I just, I just got this the other day, but Romans 10... Uh, 
says uh, in verse 4, Christ is the end of the, of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So mm. the goal of the law is for us to see Christ. Mm. Right? Mm. And I wrote, I wrote the same thing from abandoning the word of God. Yeah. Amen. It's good. To get it, oh, yeah. Yes. Um, so in the complete Jewish Bible, it says without a prophetic vision that people threw off restraint. And I mm. thought it kind of gave an extra um, something to it because it says, you know, when this day asks, how does this happen? I think part of it is when there's no one who will prophesy and when prophecy is done incorrectly. Because prophecy warns our heart, and if our heart isn't warned, we don't have restraint and we don't abide by the law. Mm. Think about this. So, Revelation. Uh, We've been doing a Revelation study on Wednesday mornings. Revelation is prophecy about what is to come. Revelation is a prophetic book. Those of you who have been a part of that study and who have been learning more and more about the things that are to come, do you feel a vision forming about what will happen in the future? Does it cause you to be more sober and more alert and more aware of the things that are happening around us? Yes. As we read in Revelation, as we read about what is to come, and as John the Revelator paints a vision for us, it causes us to sober up, to be aware, to be alert. That's this verse come alive to us. So to get a vision, ask God for the plans He has for you. Verify it's biblical, and then write it down. Let's take these three verses. Uh, Let's see. Anthony, will you take Jeremiah 29, 11? Eddie, will you take Psalm 119, 105? And Aria, will you take Habakkuk 2, 2? And go ahead with Jeremiah when you're ready. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Good. Psalm 119? Good. And Habakkuk? It's hard. It's only three chapters. Yes, ma'am. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. How many of you in here see a vision that God has given you and you are working towards it actively? It's good. It's good. Don't you feel opportunities to get discouraged and give up on it? But don't you also feel driven as you take steps of faith towards it? And don't you also feel feelings of success in God's favor as you step towards the vision that He's given you? This This is what the world is trying to create. See, the world gives us its own version of a vision and then tells us to work towards that. Do you see? The world paints a picture for you of what you want. They tell you what you want and then they paint that picture for you and then they tell you how to get there. And then everybody plays along and the pressure of the tide just pulls us along with it. And we're like, I guess this is the game that we're playing. So then we're miserable in the middle of it 
right? And it's not really what we want, but it's what everybody else is doing, so I don't have any other vision. Do you see? That's the danger of it. That's the, the culture's tide that pulls us along. Nick. Yeah. I'm in a class right now, and uh, the professor told a really crazy story that actually tied right into this. He was talking about how he went on a dog sledding team once, and um, all of the dogs were like jumping up and down, excited to pull this sled. And he was like, "Why in the world do these dogs want to pull like 400 pounds across the freezing snow for days? Like, why are they excited?" And as they were going, the dude who was leading the dog sled, he didn't have a whip, he didn't shout to control the dogs, he just whispered to the dogs. He was like, "Go left." Turn right here. And he asked the dude afterwards, he said, why are these dogs so excited and why do they listen to you whispering to them? I have to yell to get my dog to do anything. Yeah. And the dog sled driver said, these dogs were made for this. They were designed for this purpose. Yeah. You never see an animal question its purpose. It does it because it knows what it was made to do. Man. And when you're doing what you were made to do, your master can control you with a whisper. That's so good. <laughs> so good. A lot of people, Shane, that's so good. That's such a good story. A lot of people get so frustrated because we're not doing what God has called us to do. And so he does have to speak to us in many different ways and through many different trials as he works us to get in line to where we're we're doing what he's called us to do. And so many people experience so much frustration in their relationship with God, not just frustration in this life. Frustration in their relationship with God because they keep trying to do things that they were not created to do. They keep trying to go in directions that God has not purposed them to go in. And so there's frustration in the relationship because we resist His way to go our own way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Look at what God values. Let's go to Colossians 3. Valentin, will you read Colossians 3, 12 through 14, loud and proud, my friend? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Come on. Come on, right here. Yes. Come on. This is what God values. Define each. Compassion. Someone define compassion for me. Neka, what did you write down for compassion? Honestly, I didn't define it. I don't know what I did. What would you say compassion is? Feeling for someone? Yeah, I feel... Who is someone that you've had compassion on? Or not? Tell me about a situation when you've had compassion on someone recently. And I know you've had compassion on many people. So if you can't think of it, 
I'll help, I'll help remind you. Okay, remind me. What about helping people's babies when they're sick? Or helping mothers as they're trying to figure out what's wrong with their children? Yeah. Going to the- oh, yeah. <laughs> Lindy hates that I do this definition. Here's the, with compassion. She thinks it's not legitimate. But it is legitimate. <laughs> she keeps me in line. Compassion. Calm meaning with, passion meaning suffering. I think compassion means to suffer with no, somebody. No, that's not one. <laughs> that is one. I agree with you. You agree with that one? It's a different All right. We're making progress. <laughs> Part of my definition kind of goes along with that. Uh, it's uh, having mercy from uh, a deep emotional heart. Okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah, Dan. Feeling what another person feels so you can help them. Feeling what another person feels so you can help them. I like it. How about kindness? No, I haven't. What'd you write for kindness? (laughs) (laughs) To be generous and considerate. I like that for kindness, generous and considerate. Casey? Verbiage or actions that promote a spirit. Verbiage or actions that promote a spirit. A spirit. Okay, I like it. Did you say you want to change your answer? No. Oh. I, I raised my hand for compassion. Oh, what do you... Okay, go ahead with compassion. Go ahead. Can I, can I say it? Sure. Okay, so something that I learned with the actual definition of compassion um, is similar to the definition of empathy, but they're different. Mm-hmm. So compassion is the concern for another's suffering, okay. whereas empathy is to like feel or be with their suffering. Okay, cool. So that's... Cool. Uh, kindness. Summer. Qualities of caring, generousness, or affection. Okay. Humility. Sydney, what'd you write? Um, I wrote, I like blue letter Bible. Yeah. So I oh, okay. a deep sense of one's littleness. A deep sense of one's littleness. <laughs> Lowly in spirit. That's what you wrote? Tim, what'd you write? I wrote a similar answer. I wrote a lowly view of yourself, but I also wrote slash viewing yourself rightly because mm. I think that sometimes I can you, I could take that first definition as oh poor me like I'm nothing viewing yourself rightly so yeah viewing myself rightly I like that someone told me one time that uh, humility was a proper view of oneself right not too high or too low often times we think that uh, we associate pride with viewing yourself too highly but what he was saying is uh, also pride can be uh, viewing yourself too lowly or too low, not viewing yourself in the proper context. And, uh, and so that made me think. But, but what, I, what I found is that too low a view of yourself can be just as unhealthy as too high a view of yourself. We need a proper view of ourselves. Yes, ma'am. Um, I like Mother Teresa's quote. She said, um, if you are truly humble, then neither praise nor criticism will touch you because you know who you are. Yes. That's good. Gentleness. Uh, Brian, what did you write? I just put being meek, humble, and thinking of others. Being meek, humble, and thinking of others. Zach, what did you write? What do you think gentleness is, gentleman? Gentleman. 
Zap. <laughs> He's like, me. <laughs> Gentle with them, I like it. Patience. What'd you write? Me? Yes. Mm-hmm. I wrote endurance and self-restraint. Endurance and self-restraint. I like it. I like it. Um, I wrote uh, long-suffering, able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, suffering without becoming anxious or annoyed. Oh, man. World class. Forgiveness, Brad, what did you write? Uh, I wrote, uh, cease to feel resentment against another. Okay, I like it. Hans, what did you write for forgiveness? Uh, To to relieve offense or flaw. Amen? To relieve offense or flaw. That's good. Anyone else? Michaela, what did you write? Forgiveness. I wrote genuinely dismissing someone's wrong. Jackson, what did you write for love? I wrote the deepest kind of affection. The deepest kind of affection. Jose, what did you write for love? To care for someone like the Lord cared for us. Good. I wrote for compassion. To suffer with someone, of course. Kindness. Bearing with someone's weakness. Humility, I wrote considering others as better or more important than yourself. Gentleness, being gracious and not harsh. Patience, enduring as we wait. Uh, Forgiveness, I wrote holding nothing against someone for wrongs done. And love to lay down your life for someone. So how do our values provide a blueprint for our destiny? Oh, did you hit something? Henry, Henry, yeah. Uh, For love, I put the action of the previously mentioned characteristics. That's good. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Forgiveness and love are actually only two I actually didn't get from Google. Um, But I I just wanted to see what you guys thought about it. Uh, Forgiveness is to love without a restraint. Let go of offense of one another, uh, of another, and then um, love. I put God is love, a passionate display of affection through disregard of sacrifice. Passionate display of affection through <laughs> disregard of sacrifice. What do you mean disregard of sacrifice? The, the, what the sacrifice? The sacrifice doesn't uh, hold back the love. Mm. Yeah. I said to value something so much that you're willing to sacrifice. To value something so much that you're willing to sacrifice for it. That's good. Okay, so how do our values provide a blueprint for our destiny? Matt, what do you think? If we keep the above, it'll keep others focused and never self-focused. We will stay others focused. That's good. Self-focused will take us down the path we don't want to go. Johnny, how do our values provide a blueprint for our destiny? 
shows us whose kingdom we're building. Oh man, I like that. I wrote, we will say yes to things that align with them and no to things that don't. If we don't know our values, the things we say yes to are random. And it might just simply revolve around the pressure that people put on us. We might simply say yes when we feel pressure and say no when we don't feel like it. But if we understand our values, we will say yes to things that align with our values and no to things that don't. Do you see the difference? I can say yes to something that aligns with my values even when I don't feel like doing it or don't have the strength, energy, or resources to do it. But I can say yes to it because it aligns with my values. Do you see? I can say no to something even when I'm being pressured into something and and people are trying to push me towards something and I say no according to my values. That way the pressure is not what dictates what I do. Do you see the difference? But if you don't know your values, you get carried along. Yeah. Uh, Matthew six twenty one, where it says, "Where your treasures, there your heart will also be." Even though it's in context of like, "Oh, if you're treasuring things on this earth, like that's where your heart is." But I felt like it applied to this too, because it's like if your treasure is in your values, and it's like your heart is going to be in those things. Yes, one hundred percent, Christine. I said the same verse. It's hey. good. <laughs> um, and then I wrote next to it. Whatever you value, you will devote yourself entirely to, and you will spend yourself completely on it. Yes. We don't always see it this way, but every decision we make is showing which side of eternity we hold dear. Yes. Amen. Amen. All right, Caleb, why don't you take Daniel 11.32? Oh, yes, Tracy. Um, what do you think of your moral compass? Moral compass? Yeah. It's, it's what do you think it means? actually my parents were doing wrong and I actually had a moral compass before I even knew to choose that that wasn't the way that it really was supposed to be. Nobody taught me but there was a moral compass I thought. Where are we at? Romans? Romans 8, 7. Yeah, Romans 2, 14. So indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So what many people define as their conscience, what the Bible says here, their conscience is simply an understanding of what is right, even though you don't have an understanding of the law. It is an understanding of what is right, which demonstrates that you do have the ability to determine what you should do and shouldn't do. That's, that's already written, even if you're not aware of the law, 
there is an awareness of what is right and what is not. And your conscience bears witness with that. Does that make sense? Okay, so Caleb, take Daniel 11.32. Garrett? Oh, do you have your Bible? Caleb Thomas. <laughs> Daniel 11.32. Garrett, take Philippians 3.14. Uh, Elena, take James 2.17. Elder Ben, would you take Psalm 37.4, please? Whenever you're ready. Alright, 11.32. Daniel 11.32. You shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. What is the main idea? Um, people that know God will take action and not be seduced by the enemy. It's good. I like the word resist, too, in the <coughs> Philippians. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So the meaning is we press onward for the goal. Yes. Correct. Javi? Oh. I just wondered if Javi had anything to add. No. He's looking at me like, I really need to say something. Okay, go ahead. Are you not? Go ahead, Elena. Okay. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. And what I said is, is our faith must, our work, good works must be followed by faith, but without faith it's impossible to please God. It's good. Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Beautiful. I uh, put, God knows what will actually fulfill us, so when we delight in Him and put Him first, the desires that we need are revealed and fulfilled. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, Ben, what would you say, when you just give a quick overview to A, B, C, and D, those four verses, trying to pull out... Uh, what the four takeaways from those those four verses would be? What would you say? Summarizing them in one. Yeah. So, or, or even a quick summary of each one. Um, I put: If we know God, we will stand firm and take action, even in the face of flattery. Okay. Um, there is a prize when we fulfill the call that God has on our life. So standing firm, taking action, and then fulfilling the call. Yeah, and we must act on our faith. Okay, acting on our faith. And then God will fulfill our desires. And God will fulfill our desires. It's good. It's good. I wrote, we resist, we press on, we do good works, and delight ourselves in the Lord. Amen. So what are exploits? Did anybody look this up? I tried not to look these things up and just see what happened. <laughs> Stephen, what did you write down for exploits? A striking or notable deed. Mm. Striking. Striking. <laughs> yes, Elena. I, we were like really trying to figure it out because I remember that one sir, it was a sermon or I remember you mentioned something about exploitation. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe it needs yes. to like, you know, um, strike the enemy or Um, and that's like, oh, maybe it's something really bad. And then uh, we had to look up definitions for it because we're like, wait, like, is this in terms of something good? So I put great victories because I thought okay. this might be what I'm referring to. 
I wrote mighty works. How are we to do them? Overcoming? Victoria, what did you write? Um, by, through, and for the Lord. By, through, and for the Lord. Amen. Can you, can you explain a little bit how you came to the conclusion of Mighty Works? Yeah, please. Oh, I just wrote Mighty Works. I mean, I'm... Oh. <laughs> when I think of exploits... When I think of exploits, I just think of David's mighty men. Because yeah. it said they did great exploits. So I was just like, Mighty Works. Boom. Just like that. So it is written. I was thinking more along the lines of I was more along the lines to take a situation, thing or person from darkness into light to make something aware to the public eye. Okay. I wouldn't say you would be condemned for that, no. I, I don't think the I don't think the judge would hand you down a sentence for that. I think it would maybe be dismissed by the prosecutor. I put exploits in the enemy's lives and how do we do them? Exploit on the enemy's lives? I was thinking, I was thinking like, you know how uh, God cast down Satan like lightning down to the earth. And, mm-hmm. and he made them naked before. Um, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But, um, I was thinking like exploiting the enemy in his lives. Hmm. Uh, yeah. There's something biblical. It might be exposed or... Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, so how are we to do them? I said through the Spirit of Christ, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. If God calls, do you think He will bring? Uh, he will help bring it to pass. Yes. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? Be honest. Do it. What did you say? Always step out in confidence. Always step out in confidence. Hundred percent. What else? Run with endurance and unashamed determination and passion. Yes. Amen. Would you write? I wrote, raise the dead and fly. I always wanted to fly. Hop into a car and drive it. That's what Caleb said. Obstacles will come to stop us from accomplishing God's calling in our lives. How do these promises help us to be prepared for the Long haul. Second Corinthians. Caleb, will you read Second Corinthians four, eight, and nine? Veronica, will you read Ephesians five, fifteen through sixteen? Levi, with your amazing, awesome, powerful, intelligent dad's help, will you read 2 Timothy 3, 12? (laughs) Setting you up for success there, buddy. All right, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. He's got it. Keep going. We'll wait for you, buddy. Troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Amen. Yeah. So I hope my son here, we won't be crushed. We won't be in despair. We won't be abandoned, and we won't be destroyed. 
Amen. Amen. Yes. Before we move on, can I read 1 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9? Yes. I also read that. Yeah, I also read that. Go ahead. That one says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. He talked about being led like a procession, or, you know, at the end of a procession, and just the difficulty that they face for, you know, their faith, and how it prepares yeah. you for the long haul. I just yeah. said it teaches us to expect great difficulty. Yeah, and Paul's, and the way that he's addressing them there, he is trying, it's, I want to say it's dripping with sarcasm, yeah. but he is really trying to point out that they are exalting this idea of successful ministers. And Paul is emphasizing his lowliness. They are looking for leaders that are successful and that are prominent. And he's emphasizing how he is trailing at the end of the procession like one condemned to die. The idea that Paul is saying, if this is what you're looking for, that's the opposite of what we are. And he's trying to change what they're looking for in that. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I put, make the most of every opportunity to spread God's word. Yes, true. Live carefully and with wisdom. Not live carelessly, but live carefully and with wisdom. Think about the things that you're doing. 2 Timothy 3.12 In fact, everyone from... In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be treated badly. Yeah. Good job, Leon. Good job, buddy. Good job, man. Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be treated badly. Ben, what did you put down for that? Um, it just guarantees that we will be persecuted. Yeah. Yeah. We should expect it. We should anticipate it. Yeah. Revel in it. Savor it. Yes. Yes. Uh, I put that because we know persecution will come yeah. if we walk faithfully, and we all assume that we want to walk faithfully, it's a good reminder that it strengthens our relationship with Christ now mm-hmm. because we want to be near to Christ when the persecution does come. Yeah. So it's a good motivation to be like, I want to be close to Jesus now. Yeah. Because if something were to happen to me later, I don't want it to be difficult for me to endure through that. Yeah, this is good. Uh, do you guys remember us uh, talking uh, a few weeks ago about the idea of not just us being willing to die, but also being willing to stand with Christ even if they are threatening the ones that we love, the lives of the ones that we love? Has anybody thought about that since, since we talked about that? Has anybody purposely tried to not think about that even when we brought it up? Yeah, let's be honest, right? But the idea of this romantic picture of if that day comes, should that day ever come, then I will stand with the Lord and endure unto death. 
for the name of Christ. And then we're sitting next to someone to like talk to him about Jesus. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to do it. (laughs) This idea that God brings us. Now, let me ask you. Do you think that God provides situations to prepare us for more difficult things that we aren't ready for yet down the road? Okay. And so if we stiff arm all these opportunities to take a stand for him, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that when that day comes, we will be able to stand. I've gotten to the place where I see the opportunity for martyrdom as a gift. Let me tell you what I mean. I look at it as that is something that is reserved only for the most precious, the ones that have almost earned it by their faithfulness to the Lord amidst trials. That's the way that I see it. Now you could take me out of context and you could go and think this and this and that. What I'm expressing to you is I look at martyrdom, not as something that I'm going out and trying to get. That's not what I'm saying. Right? Because I could do that pretty quick. The Lord made me that way. Right? Where people are just like, oh. I don't know if it'd be for the name of Jesus, but people would be wanting to hurt me. Just the way that I'm naturally made. I actually resist that, put that down a lot. Keep going. Martyrdom, I believe, is like the pinnacle. Like, let's say if you were so generous that you simply just, you. Anything. You didn't withhold anything from anyone that asked of you and you gave generously. Like, let's say if that was the pinnacle of your life and you just trusted the Lord. There's a guy named George Mueller who lived his way a lot like that, took care of orphans, and the way that he lived was very generous like that. And it's like there was a pinnacle of generosity where you would even give your life away to someone if that's what they needed, if, that would, if that's what would put them on better footing, where, where it's like the pinnacle. Or like the, penalty, the pinnacle of maturity would be someone could provoke you, right? Or push you and try and push your buttons and you would be able to love them in spite of all that, right? That would be like the pinnacle. What I would say the pinnacle of faithfulness would be, would be my life is being threatened or the lives of those I love is being threatened and I still remain faithful to the Lord. That would be like the pinnacle. But he's not going to take us from preschool or from infancy And put us in a doctorate level situation. Do you see what I'm saying? What I'm trying to say is I see martyrdom for me. The way that I would put it in Nick's words. Would be like a doctorate level situation. Does that make sense? But many of us as it relates to faithfulness. Are in an infancy stage. Or a preschool stage. Or a kindergarten stage. So let's not fool ourselves into thinking. That if our lives were threatened. Or the lives of those that we love were threatened that we would be able to demonstrate a doctorate level faithfulness if we can't get the preschool stuff right. Yeah. Okay, I feel like I need to share this. Okay. Um, Just because of what you're saying, because I feel like I'm definitely at a very baby level of that. And just to be vulnerable with you guys, like part of me, um, like, I don't know, Okay. I feel like all this stuff is just flooding in me, like realizing okay. just the greatness of like what I experienced today. It mm. was so small, but it's it's like already changing my heart. Mm. Um, cause I don't even know why I'm gonna cry right now. 
That's okay. That's okay. Okay. It's all good. But part of part of like my struggle is like wanting other people to like affirm what like I realize is true, and I'm like, oh, I want to share this, but I I need affirmation with it. You know, like if someone doesn't affirm me, I'm like, okay, makes me question everything. And today I was talking with my boss, which. I talk to my boss all the time, but anyway, I was talking with him, and somehow, somehow brought up Summer, because Summer's been to the chiropractor before, and I was like, yeah, she hasn't been in, she had to, like, move her family, and I told them about the house that, that your parents moved into, and, and he's like, oh, wow, that's really cool, like, what does it look like, and all this stuff, and I was like, this is weird that you're so interested in the house, and so I just kind of told him a little bit about it, and I happened to tell him, not thinking it was any big deal, that... The, that they called it Shalom Oaks, and he just laughed, and like just a little laugh, but he was just like, oh, "Isn't that?" He's like, "That's weird." He's like, "Isn't that like a a Jewish Shalom or whatever?" And like almost like laughing at what I said, and I was like, "Praise the Lord that he's like." I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm like receiving what the Jewish person would receive." <sighs> And I was like, I get to be a part of <laughs> I love it. I think the same way. I think the same. I go through those same kind of things. I'm looking for it. In fact, every time that I get done wrong, I quickly analyze the situation. Like, okay, did I do anything ungodly to bring about this reaction or this consequence and if the answer is no and it just came on me I'm like yes <laughs> right like yes that just got credited to my account right <laughs> to, to be able to suffer in any way not for wrong behavior which I experienced much of my life right but now to be suffering for doing good at every level and it's like looking for that and being like yes yes when people slander me, when people talk down or insult me or exclude me, you know, on account of the stance that I'm taking for Christ, each of these are like, bing, 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 bing. That's the way that I see it. That's the way that I'm living my life, right? Go ahead. It's uh, what Luke 6.22 says. It says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So for, so for so their fathers did to the prophets. I knew I read that somewhere. <laughs> That's good. What obstacles or problems make a good enough excuse for us not to stick to it until we accomplish God's will for our lives? None. If there are none, what does that mean for us? Can't stop, won't stop. Debbie, what does it mean for us? Take your time. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. Stay in the word and focus on him in even the smallest situations when you're talking to them. To even people you do know, but especially also to people you don't know, you can always ask, you know, do I have a word for this person? Yes, 100%. Annie, what does it mean for us? Staying with the Holy Spirit. Mm hmm. 
Yep. Stay in touch with the Holy Spirit. Look for what He has for you. Yes, sir. So I completely read this wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because um, what obstacles or problems make a good enough excuse for us not to stick to it until we accomplish God's will? I was literally thinking like, what excuses come up? Yeah. And so I just stopped those. I'm like, if there are not, what does that mean for you? It's either I'm dead or I'm not doing the work of the Lord. Mm. Good. 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 Okay. Um, just with the thought of like, what are excuses that come up? Because we're so good at excuses. And when I was on my trip, I determined in my heart I had an hour and a half Uber ride from the airport. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to talk to this person about Jesus. And I'm praying, like, okay, let it be like a girl and like speak longer and speak good English and stuff so I can talk to them for an hour and a half, like about them or Jesus or whatever. And instead, I get, you know, like this. Arabic uh, Catholic who had moved from Iraq five years ago, guy who, you know, was in his 30s and spoke very, like, broken English or whatever, but yet I still, I was like, okay, I already know I'm going to do this, no excuses, it's like when you, when you set your, your face like Flynn, you're like, I've already determined this in my heart, and yes. whatever excuses are going to come up, like, it doesn't matter, and it, yes. was, it was a cool conversation. Come on, that's so good. So let's develop a strategy to make sure we do not fall in the most Im- fail in the most important issue we will ever face, our destiny. Number one, pray and ask God for His direction. Number two, continue to study the Word of God so He can direct us through it as well. Number three, clearly demonstrate what you want to accomplish. Establish an exciting goal you feel strongly enough to really be committed to. There must be a passion to do it. Number four, make a determined commitment to bring it to pass. Number five, write out a mission statement complete with a time basis to evaluate your progress by. Number six, list the obstacles you foresee that may get in the way and how you are going to overcome them. And number seven, list your solutions and pray continually over them until you succeed. Dang. That's a lot. Did anybody do any of that? You did it, Lana? That's good. That's good. What uh, What is it that you want to accomplish? Well, like my personal mission. Yeah. So I I, I wrote two because I wrote our calling, and the second one I wrote um, that I may be a quiet and gentle wife, fully trusting in the Lord that whatever season He brings to us or me, I know that. He will purify me to make me a spotless bride. Amen. This practically looks like honoring, respecting Garrett in home and in public by submitting to his leadership that others may see as an example of how to love, how to love their husbands by choosing and by choosing to lay down my plans, agendas, ideas, and to bear up under my weaknesses <coughs> like Garrett and by the Lord. Sounds like a wonk to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wife of noble character. Sounds like a walk. It's good. What'd you write? For what? Yeah, for any of that. Your mission statement. My short-term mission is to do walk without bitterness. Amen. Amen. Do walk without bitterness. Wife of noble character. It's a study that the ladies are doing. There is a combination of getting themselves ready and also of becoming better in the current season that they're in. 
So it's it's a good thing. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, one, help teach young people discipleship. Uh, two, share the gospel. Three, learn Hebrew. Four, travel to Israel uh, this year and next year. Um, five, bring evidence of heaven to earth through studying the word. Um, six, help people in our church in real estate and when they're looking for a house and uh, to invest in young people by teaching economics. And last one, having to do with our Ephesians 4, 12, and 13, to equip his people for works of service. Come on. Don't y'all worry about Dan. Dan will be just fine. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. Raising up an army for the Lord by speaking life into the dry bones in Ezekiel 37 is the uh, reference to that. Amen. I felt like it, it definitely goes under poverty. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Did I see you lift a finger, Brian? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I saw it. I see that hand. Finally, two verses to meditate on. I'll tell you my mission. Uh, so I got very practical. I didn't, for me, I didn't, I didn't, the direction I wanted to go was to be very specific. I wrote to finish the Acts books. If y'all could know, uh, like, the absolute turmoil that I am going through to try and finish this book, it, it weighs heavy on me every day. To finish the Acts books and the marriage counseling books and begin uh, trips to Israel, Lord willing, to accomplish this within the next two years. Um... Uh, those uh, fall under equipping and maturing the saints. Also, uh, bringing freedom through the truth of God's word. It falls under what I've been called to do. I know that this is what the Lord has given me to do. It is a specific work that uh, I know the Lord has prepared in advance for me to do. And I also feel uh, the way I described it to Lindy was uh, an immense sea of inadequacy uh, to do what God is, is calling me to do. I feel it is much, much bigger than me, and there are people much smarter than me who could do this much better, and yet I feel the Lord has put it on me to do, and so I'm going to step out in it and trust the Lord to bring it to pass. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else want to share what they wrote for my mission? Sydney? What is it? Joy and understanding to the misunderstood. I like it. Sharon, what did you write? I wrote a couple of things, but I'm trying to put the thoughts together. Okay. Um, that my life glorifies Him in everything I do and I say. Whether I see things, whether I walk there, whether I touch people, I want, I want them to see the love of Christ in me. Um... Do you mind if I share about this past weekend? So Sharon, uh, we had our uh, first memorial service here at the church this past Saturday for Sharon's mother. And uh, she got up to speak. And she spoke so boldly, so plainly, and so directly. Over the top. It was him. But that's what we're looking for. We are looking 
for him to speak through us. And, and y'all would have been so proud of her. Those that were there know what I'm talking about. She spoke very directly, very plainly. And it was beautiful. And uh, God was glorified through it. So mission accomplished. And it continues to. So uh, does anybody want to answer, how does your mission relate to the vision of this church? Yes, sir. Uh, well, so my mission, I wrote on my mezuzah, was bring healing through love and joy. Um, when I thought about that, um, building up the body, uh, fullness of Christ, um, because um, uh, building up is uh, bringing healing through love and joy. And um, mm-hmm. in that, um, it, it's a fullness of the Christ that a lot of people don't experience is the love of Christ. Yes. Amen. Amen. Uh, quick to share this with you before we read this last paragraph. Um, so I think I talked with a lot of people through it a couple years ago as I was dealing with rebelliousness in me, as I was learning to accept and embrace authority, right? Y'all heard Anthony talk about uh, authority this past weekend. Anthony has got no problem with authority. This dude understands authority. He honors it, respects it, acknowledges it. It's part of his DNA now. Wasn't always that way, was it? <laughs> <laughs> But praise God that he changes us and doesn't leave us the same way he found us, right? So for me, I had a lot of rebellion. And I didn't realize that all of a sudden, because the church has been going for about six years now. I didn't realize that I had rebellion in me even while I was a pastor. That I had problems and issues with authority even while I was a pastor. So how did that translate? The, one of the ways that it translated was, I would always dismiss when people would, would call me pastor or address me as pastor, I would, I would dismiss that and put that away. And the way that I justified that was, no, it's not about titles, right? One of the other things that I would say is, we're all the same, and I put a, a, an extra emphasis on we're all the same, as in like, I'm just another person, we're all the same. And, and that might sound good, and I could even spin it different ways, But it wasn't until my own heart was revealed that I realized what I was actually doing, which was pushing off the responsibility, not wanting to be seen as something so that I was held accountable to a certain standard. Does that make sense? Because if people see me a certain way, then certain things that I was okay with or that were still in my life, right, I wouldn't be able to have those things anymore. And I really simply wanted to protect my own sin, my own idols in my life, right? Because I wanted things to remain the way that they were. And as I stepped more and more into what God had called me to, I realized that that would mean certain things couldn't come along with me. So one of the reasons that I was pushing authority away is because I had certain ways of doing things and certain comforts that I wanted to maintain and keep. But when I began to fully embrace not just my own authority, but to acknowledge and respond to authority in general in a more godly, biblical way. What does this mean? This means that I hid things like uh, things that I I built at my house. I wouldn't get permits. Why? Because I would say, well, those are dumb laws. Those are dumb rules. Right? That's a problem with authority. Right? Right? Lots of things that I would do in regard to what the laws were and, and, and things like that. I would say, well, these are dumb laws. Or those laws don't make sense. Or when someone would tell me to do something or there would be even just the idea of the church in general and the traditions and the ways that things had been done. I had such a disdain for so many things because I I had problems with authority. And so I was blind and I couldn't see it. 
I'm saying all this to say, when it's talking about how our vision relates to the vision of the church in general, some of us in here still have problems with authority. We don't realize that that's what's going on, but when we resist and reject the vision or the direction or the mission or the values that are displayed or are passed down by those that have gone before us or that God has put in leadership over us, when we push that away and reject that and rebel against it, we are the ones missing out because this is what God has put in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to carve away the flesh and to get us to a more godly, Christ-like place. What does this look like? You may have bosses that are ungodly. The word gives you direction on how you're supposed to respond to them. You're supposed to honor and respect them. You're supposed to do good even while they're not looking. You are not supposed to slander them. You're supposed to be faithful, loyal, work hard, set an example in your behavior and your speech. Even if it's an ungodly authority. You're supposed to endure even if it's hardship or trials and endure it with great joy knowing that you're actually being made more mature through bearing up under them, right? When direction comes or authority is displayed in a way that you might disagree with, even in here, what's your response? Do you immediately stiff arm, reject, resist? I want to tell you that's to your own detriment. That's not affecting the general direction. That's not affecting the vision or the values or the mission that God has given to this church. It's only robbing you of experiencing the crucible that comes from when you submit and move forward. For women, it may be that your wife is not godly all the time. For women. It's a whole nother problem. For women, it may be that your husband is not godly all the time. How do you respond? 1 Peter 3 gives us an example of Sarah when her husband took her into the land that would later become the Philistines and the ruler who was Abimelech at the time. And he said, tell them that you are my sister. And that situation landed her in Abimelech's house rather than her husband's. And the Bible acknowledged that what she did made her beautiful. The way that she behaved. Why? Because she submitted to the authority of her husband. But you say, "Uh uh-uh, not me. If I was in that situation. But that's not the point. The point is, it was an ungodly situation in many respects. But she responded in submission. And what did the Lord do for her? He protected her in that. And that's what we miss. We miss that when we respond in a biblical way, even to ungodly authority or ungodly directions, that the Lord's hand is on us as we endure through that. And so we will actually grow and mature even under ungodly authority. That's what the whole message of the prophets were to the people of Judah when they were in Babylon. Submit. Build houses, settle down, and I will cause you to prosper there, even under ungodly authority. So when we're talking about submission, when we're talking about authority, 
Let go of the baggage that you carry from the past of the ways that it was done wrong to you. Husbands that treated you wrong in the past. Pastors that did you wrong in the past. Bosses, employers, boyfriends, all the girlfriends, people that did you wrong in the past. You've got to let go of that because all it really does is cut your legs out from under you as you're trying to walk forward into what God has called you to. Does that make sense? That baggage only slows you down. The word is clear. Submit, honor, respond in resistance to the enemy. Not in resistance to authority, but in resistance to the enemy. And persevere under trials. Because you may be pressed, but you won't be crushed. Right? So we ask you to support our vision by any means that the Lord Jesus directs you as we minister the transforming power of God to each individual entrusted to us and advancing the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that is truly how we see it. Each one of you, we see as entrusted to us and that we're responsible for. That's the way that we feel. I still see the faces of the people that have left this church. I still see the people that have left and left in many different ways. And I think about them often still. That It doesn't go away. I haven't forgotten about them. I haven't lost memories of them. There's still people that I know are supposed to be here today that aren't. And it it still hurts my heart that they're not here. And so recognize this. You are loved. We see you as being entrusted to us. So let's work together to bring about God's purposes in your life and for us all as a whole. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this body. We thank you, Lord, for your purposes for us, that your plans are good and they are to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a future and a hope. We thank you, Lord, that we can write it down and trust that the word is true and it will come to pass. Lord, I pray that we would live by faith, that we would not be weighed down with double-mindedness, Lord, for our mistakes and failures along the way, but we can trust that we are forgiven and cleansed of unrighteousness when we confess before you, and that the goal is for us to live by faith and to do deeds in faith, specific works in advance that you've prepared for us to do. Father, build your kingdom in us and through us as we seek it first and all your righteousness, Lord, trusting that everything else will be added unto us. I give you praise for my brothers and sisters, this family, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.